What up, you paleo hackers? Today we got the double trouble. We have a trio call, two guests. So the first one is my buddy uh, Jason Goldberg, who is a writer, author, blogger, and mud racer. Jason, what is up, my man? Hey, Clark, how you doing? I'm doing well, man, doing well. And we also have the co-author... Uh, which we're getting to in a minute, but Joe Salama, familiar face. He is the author of The Paleo Miracle, mediator, not a meditator, uh, (laughs) promoter of horse supplements. He promoted horse supplements last time on the call. Joe, what is up, my man? How's it going, Clark? It's really good to be on. I was going to say what I told you before we started recording. Your listeners are very engaged and intelligent, and I got a lot of great feedback after the last time. And we're excited to be on here again. Yeah, that's sweet, man. I think your show, I told you before the call, um, the one we did in February, I think it was, is one of the highest grossing downloaded shows we have. So that's a hot one. You know, maybe I need to get into the horse, you know, supplement selling industry or something. I think it was the horse (laughs) cream. Uh, I legitimately got two or three emails asking me. Uh, what was the horse brand cream you recommended in that call? So thanks for that. I'm like, I have no, no clue. That's funny. <laughs> well, cool. Hey, well, you guys wrote uh, The Dow of Paleo, and it's, uh, for those of you, T-A-O. Uh, it's pronounced Dow, correct? Yeah. So you, both of you co-authored The Dow of Paleo, which was a really cool, uh, kind of written in a transcript form of a book and it was original and it was fun thumbing through it. I didn't get through all of it, but it was very, very easy to read. I mean, literally it's laid out as a conversation. So you go and then Jason goes and then Joe goes and it's this, this back and forth that makes it really easy to get through. And I think a lot of people out there listening who maybe uh, they like paleo books, but for some reason, I mean, the format can just kind of, uh, get to them. It's the same thing in every book. So this was a really cool one to to thumb through, and I had a good time doing it. Oh, that's awesome! I'm I'm really glad because that's exactly what we were shooting for, Clark. You know, I mean, there's there's a lot of outstanding paleo books out there, but what Joe and I found is that a lot of them were written in a style that was, frankly, no pun intended, kind of hard to digest. So what we wanted to do was we wanted to engage people because we knew that that was the first step and really interesting. Uh, I'm sorry interesting them in the paleo lifestyle. Right. So first and foremost, we wanted to, to, to create an instrument that would inform people, but at the same time really entertain them and, and that that would give us a much better shot to get them to give what we were offering them a try. You know, what's funny is um, just this call just reminded me of something is when I was in college, I took Econ 1, right? There are 500 people in the class and the teacher is the guy who wrote the book at Berkeley. And you sit there and you, you go through the material and it's dry. It's almost like he's reading out of the book. And then I go to the section where, you know, we have a graduate student who's going to teach us. And I did, I'd never been to a section before. I was a freshman. And the, the teaching assistant, the graduate student teaching assistant was late. And the class was full and we were all wondering where he was. And then we looked down the hall inside the building and he's riding his bike in right? He's got, he's just in workout clothes. He hangs up his bike on the wall. There were two hooks there and he pulls out a piece of chalk from his shorts and he puts a graph on the board and it says, he says, you're on a desert Island and there are two things there. There's cocaine and there's coconuts. And then he starts drawing grass and everyone in the room was like dumbfounded. 
He's just like, who is this guy? He's like in super great shape. And then he blows our minds out of the water. And then he rides back off through the hallway and disappears for a week. And, you know, it, the point of this is that whatever, whatever the subject matter is, the way it's delivered to you is either going to make it successfully interesting or completely boring. And, you know, with the right teacher, statistics can be fascinating. Mm. With, the, with the wrong teacher, you know, um, I don't know, human behavior can be the most boring thing in the world. So um, the the way our book is structured is designed to engage people pretty much. And you, and have, to, you have to use a lot of cocaine and coconuts when you read it, right? <laughs> well, I have to use a lot of cocaine and coconuts both just to tolerate and put up with Joe. From this time. Yeah, him and his damn horse cream, man. Yeah, what can I say? <laughs> well, uh, so, I mean, you know, the format you presented it in, it's this conversation, it's this transcript. What about the content? What about your book, um, The Tao of Paleo? Obviously, right off the bat, for those of us who know kind of uh, a little bit about the history of the Tao, why did you decide to go with that approach? Can you explain it to the listeners, just an overview? It's all yours, Jason. Uh, yeah, so, you know, being a longtime martial arts guy uh, and Joe also being a martial arts guy, you know, both of us are very interested in. Eastern spirituality and Eastern philosophy. And so for, for me, it became very evident right away with my paleo journey that paleo isn't about food or, and it's not about exercise and it's not about sleep and it's not about supplementation or more correctly, it's, it's not about any of these things singularly. It's, it's really about all of them. And it's really about how all of them apply to you uh, and, and you as an individual. So the concept of Tao is such an interesting concept because it really applies to an individual way of being or an individual path that somebody walks in order to get in harmony with themselves and the universe around them. So kind of the original concept of the book was to frame it in the concept of a Tao. You know, so many of the paleo books and so many of the, of the paleo coaches focus on a very limited part of the picture on food and to a limited extent exercise. But it, it's so much more than that. And it takes so much more than that to be successful. So, you know, Joe and I decided to frame this within the concept of Tao because we thought it was really uniquely suited to convey what we wanted to convey, which is that paleo is a, is a holistic lifestyle. It's a way of being. It's not just a diet. It's not just an exercise program. The Tao meaning, of course, the way, the path. Is, that comes out of the Tao Te Ching, right? And is it Lao Tzu who was the original teacher of that? Yes. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, the Tao Te Ching is, is a, you know, a huge part, but, you know, the Tao kind of philosophy and faith, you know, predates that. Okay. And it's a very ancient, you know, it's a very ancient concept that, that even precludes, you know, voicing it as Tao. You know, it's a, a very ancient, you know, kind of uh, a spiritual concept that, you know, goes back to the very early stages of humanity. This concept of being one with yourself and one with everything around you. But Lao Tzu wrote the most famous piece about okay. it. Because I, I read that yeah. back in the day, and yeah. uh, I remember when I was reading it, a lot of it was kind of up for interpretation almost on, on purpose. It was um, it could be taken a lot of different ways, I, th I think. I mean, that's kind of my understanding of just a, a, a quick little read and from what I've heard. Um, is that kind of maybe your approach with, with paleo is, is you're not you know telling someone this way – don't do this, eat this, but you're kind of leaving some stuff up for interpretation and letting them find their own way or, or path or Tao. 
I would say that that's right. But if you want to compare the two texts, I mean, you read um, Lao Tzu Ting. Um, I'm not sure how you pronounce that correctly. Um, and you're kind of left a little bit confused. It's a little bit too vague and open-ended and philosophical. So although we do want to let people find their own path and we do give them guidelines to start with, um, our reading, as you know, is a, it's not, you know, you're not going to be like, what the hell did that mean? You know, we spell it out and we hit you over the head with it. And then we introduce fictitious characters who are doing it wrong and make fun of all of them along the way. Not to mention each other. <laughs> yeah. You're easy to make fun of, Jason. So oh, I'm a big target. <laughs> so clearly you guys had tons of fun writing this thing and it's set up in um, conversation again and, and there's different sections based on it. What's kind of the approach you take to nutrition? Is it very, very strict paleo? Is there some give or takes? I mean, what's kind of the general overview of the nutrition approach in this book? Yeah, so um, basically what we tried to do was was appreciate the fact that you know, many people coming to try the paleo lifestyle are coming from a place of a real health. You know, they're eating a, a, a diet that's extremely um, hard on their bodies. Um, they're, they're really in a, in a bad place physically to a great extent because of what they're eating. So what we present them with is, is a fairly orthodox paleo template. And it's very, very specific in terms of we really suggest that you eat this and we really suggest that you avoid this and we really suggest that you approach these foods with moderation. And it's really, you know, it's, it's, very, it's very specific. But the idea is, is that you use this template from a nutrition point of view to get yourself healthy. And once you've gotten yourself metabolically healthy, you start branching out and you fine tune it. And you use some of the resources that we provide in the book later on to kind of find the elements of diet and nutrition that, that really apply to you. So we, we start with a fairly, fairly narrow focus simply because most of the people who are coming to the, to the paleo lifestyle are, are fundamentally unhealthy and, and fundamentally unhealthy substantially because of the food they eat. Yeah. But there's the, the understanding that, you know, once you start to get things under control and you start to feel better, you're really going to find out what works for you. We talk about finding your own Tao, mm. and that applies to the nutrition element uh, as much as it does any other part of the paleo lifestyle. So kind of like a really, really crazy river rafting trip where – uh, the person who's first getting in the boat at the top of the river, you know, the rapids are everywhere. They're falling out. They can't even control their boat. They're just trying to make it down the river. And then eventually, once you get to more calm waters, then you can start focusing on more detailed stuff like speed and duration and direction and all that stuff. But you're at first, you're just trying to get a hold of your surroundings and kind of the new approach you're in. That's right. And then we have chapters in there that help guide you through the common psychological pitfalls that go along with it. You know, we have chapters warning you against turning into a paleo Nazi, so to speak, if you'll excuse the reference. And, you know, just getting your mind oriented right for the changes that are going to happen and for how to deal with people who have different approaches, both inside and outside of the paleo community. Why do you it, think it basically yeah, it's all ahead. about it's all it's it's just all about not being a jerk, uh, you know, when it comes <laughs> down to it. Yeah, you know, and not you're, being you're a jerk feel, to yourself. Right. Yep. Or and you know the idea that you're just you know if you if you approach this thing like you know like a like a stormtrooper you know and and you're shaking your finger at people and, and saying uh, not orthodox you know uh, chances are you're just going to turn them off. So the, the idea of this whole you know iteration is is once you get yourself healthy is to try to 
you know, try to help other people get healthy and feel better. This is kind of about changing the world in a very significant way. So, you know, being a jerk isn't going to help do that. Yeah. And at the same time, you have to weigh that against the, the, you know, giving people the discipline so that they are strict with themselves and that they can hold the path without stressing out themselves. So I like it when Joe disciplines me. <laughs> we all do that on the air, Jason. <laughs> Why do you think then most people fail with paleo? Uh, or, um, you know, if someone tries paleo and they drop out or they, they cheat or they slip up or they do whatever – um, why is it, do you think is, is the biggest problem they, f- they quote unquote fail? I think that part of the reason is what we just put on with what you just said is there is a moral judgment associated with not staying on the paleo path. And that can be a big burden. That can be a big temptation if it's framed in the context of morality. Um, I like to think of it as a decision. You decide to eat menu on menu or off menu. Once you're out of the first 30 days and you're not having addictive, you know, unusual body cravings as much, um, then after that, it's a decision. And, you know, I think people should be able to govern them for themselves what they put in their mouth. You know, we govern every other part of our lifestyle. Why shouldn't we be able to govern what we put in our mouth? Mm. Now, you ask why people fail. I think it's because either they don't have support inside their homes. Um, I think either they don't have the right mind frame and resources that they need, um, such as other people who are doing it to help them along the way. Um, The mind frame being, you know, this isn't just some diet thing. This is a whole reinventing my life thing. And it's really kind of hard to appreciate the mindset until you make it through successfully to the other side, because you just don't know how good you're going to feel. So although we try to give people the resources in the book, everything they need, the recipes and all that stuff, it really helps if people have in-person support um, in their families, online, wherever they can find it from other paleo people. I would agree with Joe, you know, and not to say something that's blatantly self-serving, although I'm going to say something that's blatantly self-serving. It's, it, there's a, I think that there's a dearth of really easily accessible um, information in, in the paleo world or maybe it's too much information that's conflicting. You know, one of the things that we tried to do in the book was to give people a solid template that if you follow it for a while, it's going to work, you know, in 99.9% of the cases. And, and there's so much conflicting information, you know, not only in other books, but on the internet about, you know, the basic tenets of getting yourself from a state of unwellness to a basic state of wellness right there, you know, kind of, it becomes paralysis by analysis. And, and, one of the things that we really tried to do with the book was to, to kind of provide that resource and, and to really satisfy, you know, a, a bunch of different personality types. You know, you have people who they, they just, they're questioners. They need to understand why. So as a result, you know, we get into very thorough explanations of, of exactly why biochemically certain things happen. And, you know, we, we allude to big research studies and we give that type of person what they need. There's certain other types of people who just do better saying, look, just tell me what to do for a while. And, you know, I'll just do it. I'm going to grind it out. Well, for that type of person, you know, we basically put together a comprehensive plan to say, hey, if you do this, you'll feel better. So I think everything Joe said is true, which, you know, is something you'll rarely hear me say. But, uh, you know, <laughs> at, at, from, from, from the very beginning, I think that somebody needs a good, solid resource to really set them on the path. And, and to be honest, that's the main reason why we wrote this book. 
That's a good distinction, though. There's definitely those two types of people. What I'm what I'm hearing you saying. The first one is kind of uh, the electricity guy who doesn't need to understand the ACDC currents or anything about electricity. They just flip the switch and on comes the light. And then you got the other guy who loves learning about the backing of of everything and the electricity and how it works and currents and stuff like that. And they kind of view health almost as their hobby and and they like doing it and they like researching it and uh knowing kind of which type you are you can really get some more tailor-made information and you're better suited to set yourself up for success in the long run totally and you know it really mirrors the way joe and i am uh, are rather i mean i'm an airline pilot you know basically i take things apart and i need to see a scientific explanation for why xyz happens you know, I, I need to know the nuts and bolts and, 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 you know, I'm the guy who lives on PubMed and needs to see scientific studies. And I'm that type of personality. You know, Joe is, is much more of a, you know, an intuitive person, you know, a, a more of a people person, you know, more of an empathic person. So I think that, you know, one of the things that's really neat about our friendship and about the way we wrote the book is that, you know, kind of our it's one of the neat like, things is that I'm Egyptian and he's Jewish, actually. That's pretty interesting. <laughs> That's exactly right. And we haven't, you know, tried to shoot each other or cut each other up with little curtain swords. <laughs> not yet. The night is young. Cannibalism. It's not paleo. <laughs> Actually, technically, we'll see. I don't know. That's a good question. <laughs> I would, I'm not interested in eating Joe, but thank you. <laughs> oh, my goodness. This uh, book was set up in kind of, uh, like we said, a lot of different sections and a lot of different chapters. There's a couple I wanted to focus on diving into some content now uh, mm-hmm. for, the, for the people at home listening. They they know the Tao of Paleo and they're excited for what lies within there. So the first section um, is eat. What did you guys kind of talk about and go over in this section? I mean, that's one of the foundational pieces um, of the book. I mean, you know, we, we sat, we sat there thinking what, what portions do we need? And we went through and we only had like a couple when, before you know it, we had all 13 of those, but we started, one of the main ones we started with was eat. And that is what is on the yes list and what is on the no list and what is on the maybe later list or in moderation list. I think is the term we use. Absolutely. You know, so many people come to the, to the paleo lifestyle with the expectation that it's mostly about food. And, and we understand that, you know, a big reason for unwellness with a lot of people um, in America in particular is, is the food. So what we did was, is we, we kind of set up the chapter first, not only to tell you what you should eat and what you should not eat and what is kind of a maybe, but again, to explain to you why. Yeah. And, and, you know, to get into the kind of nuts and bolts of, of exactly the reasoning behind why these, you know, foods are good for you, what they do to you biochemically. And again, we sprinkled it with all the necessary scientific studies that if somebody cares to chase them down, they can. What so, was your, and we culminated at the end. I'm sorry, Clark, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to ask, what was your favorite study? You guys have a lot in here. What was your favorite one that you found and you were like, wow, this is a really solid one? Do you remember any? Chasing the meta-analysis. Yeah, so for me, you know, the light went on um, when um, I opened up the electronic uh, copy of the New York Times, and I saw a reference to a meta-study that was conducted by a number of scientists led by uh, a very esteemed scientist by the name of Dr. Rajiv Chowdhury, 
who's affiliated with Oxford University. He's one of the leading scientists in the field of nutrition, and um, he, he basically led a team that studied the results of over half a million subjects, over 80 different studies. And the study proved conclusively that saturated fat and the consumption of saturated fat has no correlation with, with heart attack or stroke or any kind of heart disease. And it also correlated that things like total cholesterol, HDL, and even most LDLs, that those have no correlation <coughs> with heart disease or stroke as well. So basically, with this one meta-study, which was absolutely you know, brilliantly done and conclusive, mainstream medicine learned that what the paleo world has been saying for years is absolutely true. So we refer to that study extensively throughout the book, and, and that's my favorite one. And we, we start out you know, framing it in each chapter. No, that was uh, that's really cool, man. I didn't look at that study, but I know they had on Time Magazine. I think it yep, was. Just, that's right. Yeah, it was just that big, um, big cover of butter. What scientists <laughs> were wrong or something? You know, and some of us started salivating when we saw that. Besides the socio political reasons, it looked really tasty. Yeah, I lick, I licked the cover. I'll admit it. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm I'm gonna be honest. I didn't read that article. Was that kind of what you were talking about, or was that a different one? Yeah, so basically, um, Dr. Chaudhry's study launched a whole bunch of, you know, fairly significant articles from mainstream media um, outlets, and, and I believe that that was one of them, and that that article referred heavily on the data from Dr. Chaudhry's study, yes. Okay. I used to put butter in my coffee doing that thing mm -hmm. um, before I stopped, and so a bunch of people knew me as the butter coffee guy walking around, and they, I can't tell you, I think I got like five, six, seven different people hitting me up with messages uh, with pictures of that cover, like, Clark, did you see this? Did you yeah, see this? Like, I think that's a big part of the mainstream thing now is, is the bulletproof coffee trend that everyone's doing. Yeah, except, I don't know about you guys, but I found <laughs> that made me, it felt, it felt great, I used to do it till two, and uh, it felt great. It, while I was doing it, but as soon as I would eat, I would just hit a wall and like collapse. It was kind of a weird, um, weird thing. So I stopped doing it. I don't know what that was. For me, I just, you know, on the days, if I did it the day before a workout, which if I did it at all, it was very often the day before a workout. Hmm. Um, and then I just wouldn't have enough energy to work out. So although there's definitely something convenient about being able to do it, if you're going to be in a meeting for eight hours and you don't have time for a real meal, and you want to avoid getting really hungry, that might be one thing. But I think to permanently, you know, deprive your body of its yeah. normal cravings and nutrients is not a great idea. Yeah, no, I'm I, one of those guys, unfortunately, and we talk about him in the book, who is kind of lactose and Cajun intolerant. Hmm. Um, so I, I can't really do butter, but I do ghee, you know, and um, uh, I think that, you know, for most people, butter is a great bet. But, you know, Clark, you know, the, the story you just told is a great everybody's different. Everybody's got to find their own, uh, their own Dow. And, you know, for whatever reason, uh, bulletproof coffee, the bulletproof coffee didn't work well for you. And, um, you figured it out. Yeah. Well, you know, it was just everyone who came on the show was like, Oh, I bulletproof. Oh, I do this. And everyone online is like, Oh, I do this, 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 you know, butter and coffee. You got to do it. Coconut oil and coffee. And so I started doing it and like, Oh my gosh, man, I, I thought there was something wrong with me. Cause I'd get to two o'clock and you know, mm -hmm. feel fine, eat. And then, you know, I need to take a nap as soon as I ate. So I, I did find out that I'm more of a 
small, consistent meal kind of guy. Like if I don't have five meals a day or, you know, a few of those are snacks or whatever. Mm-hmm. I, I I don't know. Maybe my blood sugar is crazy or, or something like that. But uh, I, smaller is better with me. And I found that out just through experimenting. But yeah, you know, that's like what we said on or what Clark, what we talked about on the other podcast was, you know, no two people are exactly the same. There are some broad strokes in common, but everyone's got a unique fingerprint and that applies to diet, nutrition, fitness and everything. Absolutely. Moving on to the next section, uh, you guys had move in there and you guys, I'm assuming, are talking about movements and movement patterns and all that good jazz. Give us an overview of of what you discussed in there. Well, I think that there's an American paradigm that we talk about in the book and the American paradigm of of fitness is, is that the best possible thing you can do to make yourself healthy is to run a lot of miles in steady state cardio. And when you're not doing that, to go to some boot camp where some guy, you know, looks like Louis Gossett Jr. is standing there screaming at you and calling your names for an hour while you do 500 push-ups and chin-ups and so on and so forth. And then you lie on the ground throwing up for an hour afterwards, and, and that's really good for you. Um, you know, what we found through research and, and basically through, you know, anecdotal evidence from ourselves and from all the people that we know in the paleo world is that this really isn't a very good template for, for health and fitness. Um, for us, and, and again, you know, the science and the scientific kind of data that we, that we cite in the book backs this up, uh, what we recommend is a, a regimen of lifting heavy things, uh, doing some form of interval sprinting, and what we call HIT training, which is high-intensity interval training. All this stuff for short, responsible durations um, in order to um, create a hormonal effect that burns fat and builds muscle. Um, it's as simple as that. And what we found is, is that in the case of most fit people who are exercise-oriented people, that we're going to ask you to do less than what you were doing before. Maybe we're going to have you up the intensity for the period of time when you're working out, but you're going to end up working out less. Hmm. So, and you're going to get better results. Mm-hmm. The only other thing we tag onto that, I'm sorry, go ahead, Joe. I was just saying, I, I talked to Keith Norris of Efficient Exercise. I think everybody knows Keith Norris. He's awesome. He's great. And he works with lawyers, and he, he trains lawyers. Um, and he said that's the hardest thing for people is to tell them to work less because they come to you, they want to they wanna improve on their goals, and they think they're not trying hard enough or they're doing something wrong. And the reality is, is that they're overtraining. And I think that applies to, that applied to me. I think it applied to Jason for sure. Um, and I think it applies to most people when you realize how easy it is, um, you know, to, to get to the, to the physical performance and appearance goals that you want. Um, you know, it's just, it's kind of, you need somebody to tell you to, to, to chill out and to do less. And we do that for people. Yeah. So much of it is just psychological. I know, uh, in myself, I used to be, um, I, I used to just feel so accomplished if I just went out and just absolutely crushed it for an hour or two. And like that feeling afterwards of just knocking yourself down and then your body's finally like, you know, deep breath, big sigh of relief and sitting in the sauna there. It just, it it couldn't be beat. The endorphins are chemically addictive. So, you know, you, you feel fantastic after putting your body through so much pain that it has to generate that level of painkiller. Um, and then you think that it's good for you. Yeah. And, you know, you can- and what we what we try to get to is the idea that, you know, how do we do the minimum to create the maximum effect? You know, 
the main determinant of your body composition is really not so much what you do in your workout part. It's really the hormonal reaction afterwards. So what we're trying to do is Hmm. get your muscles very insulin sensitive, get your body to uptake that protein and carbohydrates and, and build muscle. Get your body to burn fat through that hormonal reaction by creating a state of, of lipolysis and yeah. minimize the buildup of cortisol, you know, which is really what cortisol does amongst many other things is preserve fat and, and cause your body to catabolize muscle, which is the exact opposite of what you want to do if you want to turn into kind of a, a fit, healthy, healthy human. <laughs> Excuse me. So more, definitely, definitely more of a hormonal uh, approach to exercising, which gets so overlooked. I mean, I remember taking a sports nutrition exercise class in college and undergrad and there, you know, they'll spend three, four, six days uh, a week just going over sets and reps and all this stuff. And then they'll spend like one day the whole quarter over hormones and how they affect your body. And and to me, it's like, well, if diet goes hand in hand, you know, initiating hormonal cascades and then your workouts kind of amplify that, hormones are a really, really big overlooked part. I mean, I'm sure you guys have seen that in just the mainstream. Absolutely. And, and what we get at the book, and, and Joe hates it when I say this, but I'm going to say it again. You know, the idea of the workout isn't the workout. It's what happens in the additional 23 hours and 45 minutes of the day that creates your body composition. Hmm. You know, it may feel great to crush that two-mile run. uh, I'm sorry, the two-hour run, but there's no way of getting around the fact that when you take that two-hour run, you're breaking down muscle, you're building up higher cortisol levels, and you're really not doing anything to make your body stronger, fitter, and more muscular. So with that, then, if someone comes to you and they say, you know what, uh, Jason, Joe, give me a high-intensity interval training. I'm ready to rock this. I'm ready to try it out. What would you say to them? Do you have like a go-to workout they can try out at home? Yeah, it's in the book, um, but we tell people in the, in the plan is what the chapter is called. It's a pretty big chapter, like eat is a pretty big chapter. Um, we tell people to start with fewer number of intervals, um, and you know they can do sprints. They can do on the rowing machine. But to start off with a much lower, I think we say four to six at the beginning, and then to work their way up to eight or ten intervals, you know, with with enough of a break in the middle because, you know, we don't want people hurting themselves and we don't want people getting into that frame of mind that we just described where the pain is all good and then the first day of interval training, they hurt themselves. Absolutely. And, you know, he's into it. Right. And, and we actually contemplate people coming to this book in a, in a very advanced state of unwellness. And, you know, we start at the very beginning and say, look, you know, if, if you're unwell to the point where all you can do is take long, slow walks a couple times a week, that's really what you should do. You know, until you burn some adipose, until you get yourself to a higher level of wellness, and then you add weightlifting, and then, you know, you're comfortable with the weightlifting, and then you add the sprinting, and then, you know, you're a fitness ninja. And then you can start bringing in the HIT training. You know, we consider the HIT training um, metabolic dynamite. Mm. You know, that's that's something you bring in kind of uh, as an end game closer to really lean out. Because you know, frankly, it, it you know can be overdone if you're doing it. You know, in excessively long increments, you risk the uh, you know the cortisol issues and so on and so forth. So yeah, or if you're doing it multiple pres- times a week, you know, like right. you know, I I think. CrossFit, for example, has a lot of great things about it. Um, I think there's a lot of support and community, and they've introduced you to a lot of exercises. But 
I don't think it's safe for most people to do three or more times a week. I think that that's a little, you know, too much. I hate to say it because a lot of my friends love CrossFit, but you know, generally speaking, the average person three or more times a week can be really hazardous. That's my personal opinion. You know, I, I came into this, I came into this years ago as a CrossFit guy, Clark, and Joe knows the story where, you know, I was doing it when it was the workout of the day posted on a website. Yeah, and there were no classes and no boxes and yeah. And there were no affiliates and boy, you know, every week I churned out that Murph workout, which if nobody, mm. you know, if everybody's not familiar with it, it it's like run a mile, <laughs> yeah. you know, over flaming hot coals and then stab a cheetah with your bare hands <laughs> and, you know, skin it and uh, carry it home and, you know, do 50 squats with it. I mean, it was ridiculous. And I literally lay on the floor <laughs> of my, my living room nauseous to my stomach. And, you know, they had this mascot called Pukey the Clown, which is this vomiting yeah. clown. And I was like, I want my Pukey the Clown t-shirt. I mean, I'm looking back at this and I'm going, I was totally deranged. And, you know, looking at myself, you know, after a couple of years of doing this, I would look in the mirror. I was the color gray. You know, I looked like five years older than I was. And of course, you know, I was fairly muscular, but I had this little ring of chub around my stomach that I couldn't get rid of. And I wish somebody had swapped me in the head and said, hey, stupid, which by the way, Joe did a couple of years later, this really isn't good for you. And that's why you feel like crap after you do it. And I'm not going to bash CrossFit, CrossFit boxes because some of them are extremely responsible and, and do really, really good work with their clients. Yes, and they, and they do really good programming, too, I have to say. Some of them do really, really good yeah, programming. Yeah, and there's a support structure. Yeah. Yeah, there's a support structure there. You meet other people, and you kind of do the journey. But we, we, we make sure that we let everybody know in the book to be very careful, you know, who, you're put, who you put your fitness in the hands of if you choose to go the personal trainer route. Yeah, you don't want to get pukey to clown getting uh all over you and no I'm, i i i relate to that jason i remember uh the website and i remember they had murph up a couple like four five six years ago even um and before it really exploded and so i tried murph which for everyone out there it's bookended by a mile run so you start and end with a mile and then you do 100 200 300 uh pull-ups push-ups squats and it's just it's just grueling brutal um, and at the end of it, you feel like crap, but you somehow there's a weird sense of like, like masochistic accomplishment where you feel kind of, <laughs> you feel kind of good because you hurt so much. Like it hurts so good. Um, but yeah, no, definitely pukey the clown. That's a, that's a different kind of approach. Um, it's kind of like, it's not working, go harder. Um, yeah, yeah. Totally. And that's the, that's the opposite of what we're trying to convey here. Okay. So. Well, moving less, moving on. Less I mean, is more. Less yeah, is definitely more. It seems know? like that goes into the next section uh, of play. What was kind of your approach in, in throwing this one in the book? You know, we mentioned Daryl Edwards throughout throughout our book, um, and I'm going to mention him again right now. Um, he adds a certain unique element, and this is why his book's so popular. This is why Mark Sisson probably grabbed him for his next book which is in production right now, is he has a, you know, working out can be really boring um, and it can be like homework. And um, what we try to convey in play is consistent with Daryl's approach. Um, It's a little different, but it's consistent with it. And that's basically to enjoy life, to go out and do something that gets your mind off of your responsibilities. That's not exercise that you enjoy. Um, And that, that is, extremely paleo and you know we all have read born to run and we know about all those tribal societies where a large portion of what they do every day is playing 
and they have, you know, that is at least theorized to be a reasonable component of why they're so healthy and happy and why they have longevity, why they don't have a large portion of disease is because they take a lot of time during the day to de-stress to enjoy themselves. And that's the, that's the philosophy we try to convey in play um, as much as possible. And the, the fictitious character we introduce in there is somebody who's a workaholic who just, you know, doesn't get out very much. And we encourage him to go do what he loves in the book. And there's, there's, there's a solid biochemical foundation again here, as Joe well knows, Clark, is that, you know, anything that your body doesn't know the difference between, you know, an angry mammoth chasing you down the savannah and, you know, your boss screaming at you and calling you a jerk and telling you that he's going to cut your pay if you don't work late. So, you know, all these things result in, in hormonal changes in your body in cortisol spikes in particular, which again, you know, chip away at that kind of building of lean muscle, cause you to accumulate, you know, excess body fat, um, elevate the fight or flight, make you tired, all those things that we want to avoid. Yeah. So, you know, play lowers those levels of, of cortisol, allows you to take your mind off the stressors. So, you know, not only is it, you know, worthy in and of itself, but, but there's a solid biochemical reason behind it. And, and, and we know that in today's society, with all the demands that we have on us in terms of work and family, you really have to make an effort to set aside time, you know, to play. Yeah, and we do. do emphasize that, hey, yeah, you know, and if you get a chance to play, it's going to make you a better dad. It's going to make you a better uh, husband or wife. It's going to make you a better worker. So all this stuff is very pragmatic. You know, it, it you know, to us, play is just as an, as, is just as an important part of the template as, as food or, or, or working out or, or any of the other stuff we talk about. I got something to add to it. Here's a requirement for play. You guys ready? Sure. And you, ha- you have to leave your phone at home or in the car to consider it play. So if someone out there, they say, okay, I'm going to go to the park and play. Well, if you have your phone, it doesn't count because I know in my life, whenever I take my phone somewhere, it stresses me out. There's always something going on. You know, it's it's habit to go to the Twitter button or the Facebook button or the YouTube button um, and that or, or even email, you know, and, and having 24 hours, 24 seven communication with uh, with all those different kind of sources of information can really detract from play. You know, I just listened to something um, on Tim Ferriss's website two days ago that talked about that. He said at least at least once a week, you know, we would recommend a lot more frequent than this. Leave your phone at home and just mm. go out and have dinner and have fun and go out and absolutely do not have your phone with you. Yeah. Um, but on a separate topic, we talk about electronics and blue light and sleep extensively in the sleep chapter. And, you know, the, the, the small effect or the, excuse me, the large effect, even the smallest amount of light has on your body after dark, even when it's not on your face um, in increasing your cortisol. Hmm. So I think that's a great idea, by the way, Clark, I think that's, you're right on, you know, um, and I'm guilty of it too. And, uh, I think that's a great way. That's a great way to, uh, you know, to kind of set the, uh, set the, uh, the, the stage for not being distracted in in your enjoyment of play. You know, I, I do a lot of the martial arts stuff, but part of the beauty of that is you're not going to take your phone out on the mat. Uh, it doesn't work that way. So (laughs) I, I think that's, that's a great tip. Great tip. I think I think more so just riffing on it, it kind of takes you out of uh, definitely out of your flow state. Um, I know everyone's really big on that. Whatever you do in terms of creativity, if you play music, if you're a martial artist or if you're a writer, 
or uh, you know, you're reading or anything like that. I mean, as soon as you check that phone, as soon as you pick it up, it it takes you out of whatever you're doing, and and it's impossible to go back to that state you were just in without a few minutes of kind of desensitizing from your phone. Um, yeah, so that's a big one. Tim Ferriss, I think, you know, I like Tim Ferriss a lot. He just said it. I said that concept in a sentence where he says, you know, focus is just a matter of removing all your distractions. Mm. Maintaining a focus is just an exercise in, in, you know, limiting and restricting your distractions, keeping them at bay. Wow. Yeah, that, which that's is why great. I try to keep that's which is why I try to keep Joe at bay and limit him. But you know that that seems to not work very well. No, you're not. We're not supposed to say that on the air. You know, I have a girlfriend now. Oh, Joe that's does. Good. He has a girlfriend. <laughs> yes, because I was about yes, to because uh, he's into uh, Facebook uh, dating, right, Joe? Um, not exactly Facebook dating, but I like to meet. I I, I only date paleo women. Yeah. Um, and the last many women I've dated were all paleo and I met them all on Facebook. Um, it's a deal breaker. Yeah, it's a deal breaker. Exactly. If you're not paleo and you're not interested in changing your life in the first couple of weeks of our relationship, then, you know, it's not going to work out. This guy's committed. This guy is straight <laughs> committed. Hey, listen, man. without, without giving away Joe's uh, personal privacy, I will tell you that, uh, I think this one has locked him up for the duration and, uh, and well done on Joe's part. Sorry for all the other uh, paleo cave women out there. It might um, be off the market. She's an exceptional woman. I am off the market. It looks like she's she's a keeper. Right on, man. Well, congratulations. Whew, guys, before we uh, come to a closing, was there anything else uh, you want to add about the book? Yeah. I mean, um, just that um, go ahead, just, uh, Joe is – well, no, just that Joe is the uh, – is the marketing business guy. He doesn't let me handle money. He, he pays me in praise, which, which I always really enjoy. So I'll just turn it over to Joe to talk about like the, the mechanics of it. Um, I started Paleo Publishing. Um, it's my own business. And this book is the first book for Paleo Publishing. Um, after getting a lot of these contracts from some of the other publishers in the Paleo community, which are doing a fantastic job for their clients in many respects, I thought that there was a big opportunity for a new publishing company to come around, give the author a lot more creative control. Like mm -hmm. if you read our book, there's a whole mess of things that no sane publisher would ever have let get into print um, that we just, you know, we just said, what the hell? And we printed it. Um, and we say a lot of outrageous and funny and in some cases, irreverent comments. Um, Bordering, bordering on criminal offenses in several different states. <laughs> you know, um, and I need to have a healthy outlet for my lawyer life, so this is it. Um, but we also give a whole chunk of money to charity. You know, the, in, 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 the, in the model of paleo publishing, the publisher doesn't keep, you know, the, the vast majority of the, of the revenues. Um, we split in, you know, in our particular one, we split it with a charity. And that's what Paleo Publishing is going to encourage. So we give money to Farm to Consumer, Legal Defense Fund, or the Paleo Fund. In our case, it's the Farm to Consumer Legal Defense Fund. Um, so that is something we want to say is at least one-third of the profits from the purchase of the book go to Farm to Consumer Legal Defense Fund to defend farmers' right to sell raw milk to keep the government from stepping on their toes, um, you know, based mm -hmm. on some big agricultural lobby or some motivation to crush the little guy. That's cool. So when you buy the book yeah. based on it, you're actually contributing to uh, the movement itself. 
Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And it's, something, all it's something we feel very. Yeah, it's, it's something we feel very strongly about. Uh, you know, as yeah. far as the mechanics of actually getting a hold of the book, um, Joe and I set up a website. It's uh, www.paleodao.com. Um, the book is available there. It's available in all electronic formats, also on paper. Um, it is for sale on Amazon and in iBooks. And um, also, just coming to the website, you'll see a lot of kind of neat um, stuff that we'll do from time to time that you know might make you curious. There's a sample chapter of the book on the website. Um, we have a uh, Facebook page. If you uh, if you look up the Dow of Paleo, you'll find us. And we have a Twitter feed uh, at uh, Paleo Dow uh, at Paleo Dow uh, E A L E O T A O. So um, uh, we're 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 worldwide and uh, and on the internet. And one of the things um, I've been working with farm to consumer specifically for two years plus now, and I just you know I just posted this in IPMG on Facebook is they really rely on small donations like this and to get by. Now I assume they had major people giving them big checks regularly, mm. but they don't. They have people like Rob Wolf, you know, um, telling people that they need to support farm to consumer, but it's usually just small individual donations um, and giveaways and, and profit sharing that that's what keeps them afloat. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah. So it actually there, matters. There's just one more thing. I, there's one more thing I want to mention before we go, Clark, by the way, um, you know, a lot of people kind of get proprietary about their, you know, about their book or about, you know, what they're doing in the paleo world. You know, Joe and I are trying to build bridges to the extent that we can. So, we are recommending, you know, vast numbers of other paleo authors, paleo nutritionists, paleo fitness prof- professionals, paleo bloggers. So one of the things that we're trying to do with this book is kind of open up a whole world of really talented paleo people to the, to the reading public. So, you know, look at this book. We look at this book as a step forward into, into a whole world of not only, you know, kind of fellow travelers, but also professionals that can, can help you. In, in any aspect of your of your paleo of, of your paleo journey, and uh, we're we're just as excited to help them uh, as we are to to have written this book. Very cool, guys. Jason, thanks for coming on. Nice meeting you, brother. And uh, Joe, thanks for coming back. For everyone out there who liked this, you can check out Joe's podcast on the Paleo Miracle um, on this show. I, I can't remember the episode, but it was a few months back. I think sometime in February. So this year. Um, and yeah, guys, thanks for coming on. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having us, Clark. Yeah, it was, thanks, Clark. It was awesome.